What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. One quick reminder for the month of October 2020, we are doing a giveaway if you leave us a review. So make sure you subscribe and let us know what you think of the Leading People First podcast. In this episode, I had a chance to talk with Travis Johnson, an active Navy officer, to share his background including growing up in chaos, yet never forgetting kindness, joining the Navy and settling in Oklahoma City, and learning to contribute to the community through nonprofits and his own podcast, The Nonprofit Architect. I've always been curious to talk with someone from the military, because in my mind, they create outstanding leaders yet are incredibly rigid, which is something we don't usually see in business. So to hear more about Travis's story and the lessons that he's learned, let's dive right on into it. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. So I would like to do something. I, I reached out to some of your connections. And Uh-oh. Wanted... <laughs> Uh-oh. And one of the things, you know, we, we were just talking for a little bit, and I think the quote from one of your friends said, you know, I've seen Travis grow from a man with no filter and in parentheses, still really doesn't, but knows how to manage it, LOL, (laughs) to an incredible leader. And uh, he truly wants the best for people and is inspired by helping others and making them a success story. Wow. That wasn't so scary. I don't know why I was was nervous (laughs) about. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you definitely are an inspiration. You do a lot of amazing work, especially on your nonprofit architect podcast. So I would love to ask, what does it mean to you to lead people first? I'm under the impression that the task, the job, the mission, whatever the thing is, is going to get done. You might as well have people that are happy to be there, that are striving towards career goals, personal goals, professional goals, whatever you have, uh, and doing it with, with a smile on their face. And maybe not a smile all the time, but, but they're happy to be there. They're excited to be working for you. They, they care about doing a good job, not because of just their, just their own fortitude and the things that they care about, but they also care about you as a leader and that you care about them. And the big difference is, is it shows up in everything that they do. You know, one of the things that I do with my guys in the military is I figure out what it is that they're pursuing, whatever it is. It could be a better family life. It could be more money. It could be uh, promotions into, out of, and through the military, other services, whatever, or it could be college or business or whatever their thing is. Whatever their thing is, I want to help them reach that goal. A, because I care about them. B, because of what it turns them into, what it helps create within them. And people that are getting the job done, but also working towards a goal, are happier, they sleep better, they have better interactions with their family and people around them. The, the side benefit of them you know, working with me is that we get a better product, right? That's just one of the things. But you really pour into someone's life, changes them and it changes you at the same time. And you get something so much better, whatever that thing is, when you really take care of people first. Yeah, that, that investment, like you said, really shows up and uh, you really do get a lot out of your investment. So you're a 20-year military man. Uh, I'm very curious to hear about how you got to where you are today. 
You mean like how did I get to Oklahoma? Well, they stationed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what brought you to the military? Like, what got you into the military? What do you do now? Walk us through that career ladder that you've gone through in the military. Okay. Well, I'll t- I'll talk about you know how I found myself in the military, and then how that builds from there. Uh, so I'm on move number fifty right now, five zero. And growing up, before graduating high school, it was thirty six moves. 12 schools, six states, five foster homes. I survived two murder attempts and I got in serious trouble with the law all before graduating high school at 17. And the reason that happened is my mom suffers from bipolar disorder and a few other things. And every time she needed treatment, we would have to go live somewhere, right? So we'd be somewhere, she would need treatment. We would go live with a family member, dad or grandma, or we'd end up in a foster home and then she would get out of treatment and then we'd move somewhere else. So, you know, one treatment phase included a couple of different moves. And sometimes it was moves around the same town and, and we stayed in the same school. Sometimes it was to new towns, but kindergarten, second grade, fourth grade, and seventh grade, I was in three different schools during each of those school years. And uh, it creates quite the havoc on you. You know, my sister and I went through Uh, quite a bit growing up. But, you know, there was always some person, some group, some nonprofit that was willing to help us along the way, put a roof over our heads, clothes on our back, food in our bellies uh, most days. And, you know, those, those people that that cared about us uh, for no reason, nothing, nothing that what we did, you know, you know, led me to a couple of places. One was, was my faith in, in Jesus one was to my wife and one was to the Navy. And, and the best part about them is, is they didn't care about my past, right? That was, that was behind us. It was, it was who I am today and who I am moving forward. It's, it's a clean slate. I know uh, there's a lot of Christians out there that give Christianity a bad name, but, but Jesus came for love and for grace. And that forgiveness is, is needed by everyone in the church and everyone outside the church. And, you know, to get that clean slate, slate, fresh start and move forward, that's all that mattered. You know, my, my wife loves me and we're, we're still together, counting on 21 years together, 19 officially married. Uh, it was just mind blowing for me, you know, that she can put up with me for this long. Uh, maybe she's got no better options. I don't know. We're still together either way. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you get in the Navy and all that stuff from your past doesn't matter. They don't know who your family is. They don't know what the stuff you did. You made it through the door. That's all I care about. You have these values, this honor, courage, commitment that you're taught, and you have these rules you follow, the UCMJ, and you have orders that you follow from those appointed over you. And if you're doing the stuff, everything is great. You show up on time with a clean shave and a clean looking uniform, ready to work. The good attitude, you can take care of it. You can take on anything. And that's not, that's not even just the military. That's outside. If you show up with a great attitude, you're far ahead of the game. But a few years ago, I got involved in the nonprofit world. I finally felt like I wasn't in starvation mode. I wasn't in survival mode. I wasn't in scarcity mode. I was like, is this what home feels like? Yeah. <laughs> like, do I feel like, what's this feeling that I'm having? This is home. Well, what do people do in our home? What do people do in a community? I didn't know. I asked around at church. I was like, what do people in communities do? They're like, well, they show up and they volunteer and they serve on boards and they give money and they care about their community. And like 
well, I can show up. I know how to do that. And I showed up to one of these networking meetings and there was someone I was supposed to meet. And I sat down and have a lovely conversation with this sweet old lady named Miss Patty. And she was telling me about her daughter, Safari McDoolit, and uh, what an amazing person she was. And she was community. She served all over the planet doing Operation Smiles. And she was on, must have been 40 nonprofit boards here in Oklahoma City doing all sorts of amazing things. And I said, this is awesome. I was like, when can I meet her? She told me that she had passed away. She got killed by a drunk driver and she was actually trying to raise money to build a memorial. Wow. And I decided right then and there that I was going to support her in whatever way we could. We adjusted our, our giving and uh, she became one of the primary beneficiaries of our, of our monthly giving that we do. And actually the guy I was supposed to meet at this meeting was sitting across the table witnessing the whole thing. I didn't know who he was, but he knew everyone there and he knew I was the new guy. So I must be the guy that he was there to meet. Um, and that led to a couple of great connections. And before you know it, I'm a published author. And I asked them like, this is wonderful. Like, what do you need help with? Can I volunteer? Do you need board members? What do you need? And this was books by Betts. And she's like, well, actually we need board members right now. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll be a board member. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but, you know, I hopped on board and uh, we did some great things, published another couple of books and had a, lot, had a lot of fun with it. Ended up on another board on the Shine Foundation, uh, started helping impacted neighborhoods everywhere. Shine's the acronym. And it was a community service partnership between the county and the court system in Oklahoma City. Uh, amazing things that they're doing and they do students for Shine as well. Through all that stuff, I, I finally felt like I was connecting with the community and giving back. And I really discovered that I love helping the people that are working so hard to help others. I love giving them the tools and resources and time or whatever I can give to them. And we ended up starting, uh, we gave the seed money for about a half another, half a dozen other nonprofits. We helped Miss Patty finish her memorial to her daughter Safari out on Crystal Lake here in Oklahoma City. That's awesome. And uh, it was just amazing. And then I got stationed out in Bahrain and I'm like, how do I do nonprofit stuff? <laughs> uh, like, how do I do this now? And I, I started a podcast, the nonprofit architect to help people build stronger nonprofits, you know, to help those helpers. Uh, we just went over a year here last week. Uh, it's been a wild ride. We've got 50, well now 51 episodes live at the time of this recording. Uh, and it's been insane. It's been so much fun. I love pouring into people's life. I love meeting new people. And I love what you're doing, Chris, here, talking about leadership. Well, Travis, the first thing I have to do is, is say thank you for your service, not only just in the military, but also just serving your community. Um, it's incredible the um, how big of a heart you clearly have because growing up, you did not have much, right? Especially I know for foster children, it's, it's very difficult having to move households, um, not necessarily having some of ba some basic needs that some children usually have, especially here in the U S and yet you still now are serving and giving back. So thank you again for serving your community and doing the work that you do, especially for the nonprofit architect podcast, you know, creating a podcast while you're deployed overseas to help other nonprofits. I mean, that's incredible in and of itself. And so that, that leads me to yeah, ask you about, you know, the importance of being able to show up and serve others with a full cup, right? 
you hit this point in your life where you're like, okay, I feel you, you said it yourself. Like you feel like you had a home, you felt like you had enough and you could give back and you wanted to know what you could give back. So can you speak a little bit on the importance of leaders having to have that full cup to be able to serve others? Absolutely. I can. And, you know, thank you for uh, thanking me for my service. You know, it, it's, it's an honor to serve and honestly, you're worth it. Every, every time I get, I get thanked, I say the same thing that you're worth it because you are, whether I know you or don't know you or I've known you forever. Or we just met through all those struggles and different things that I was doing. I found that if I'm focused on me and what's going on in my world, that it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to have anxiety. It's easy to beat yourself up. It's easy to, you know, feel like garbage. But if I'm contributing to someone, if I'm helping speak life and other people and what they're doing and, and, and support them, that does a lot to fill me up. And there's definitely a balance for me. I've got a, a friend that says the opposite. He's like, you know, screw balance. And that's not the words he uses, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has a lot to do with making sure that you're able to continue to give. And you mentioned that you got to have a, a cup to pour out of. You can't pour from an empty cup. You, you just can't. If you're someone that says yes all the time, you need to start saying no. And see who sticks around because there's some people out there you find were just leeching off of you or whatever they could get from you because you were just willing to give. On the other side of that coin, there's a bunch of people out there that say no all the time. They need to get out the house and start saying yes. Yeah. It's not that scary out there. All the people out there are just scared as you are, but at least you can show up and talk about how scared you are to come out to this stuff. You have to set time aside for everything. I'm in uh, some entrepreneurship groups and they talk about time blocking and some different things. And they're like, Travis, well, what do you do for your stuff? I'm like, well, I only do work at this time on this day and I only do this stuff here and I have different times for this. And they're like, really? That's all the time you set aside for that stuff? Absolutely. Because the other time is for me. The other time is for my family. If you stack up all the things you have to do and you set them in priority order, and then you look at your calendar, does the calendar match your real priorities? Are you putting the time in to the things that you feel is most important most of the time? And if you're not, you're going to have to look at that. I talk to a lot of moms. I don't know how they all seem to have my number, but moms of <laughs> all varieties call me all the time and we end up having different conversations. But one conversation that pops up quite a bit is they always seem to be running around doing things for everybody all the time. I use something that I, I take in my own life and I, I share it with them. I was like, well, like, tell me, tell me your day. And they get through their day. I was like, well, tell me about grocery shopping. And like, you want to know about grocery shopping? It's like, yeah, tell me about grocery shopping. I was like, let me set the stage for you. Do you like sprint out of the house, jump in your car, screech down the road, get in the parking lot, slam it in the park, jump out, fly through the grocery store and come back home as fast as you can? They're like, you yeah, pretty much. I was like, let me tell you this. Would it hurt to spend five minutes in your car when you got to the grocery store? And they're like, what do you mean? Get to the grocery store, put the car in park, have your audio book on, the music on. Maybe you want to sit in silence and just be, even if it's for five minutes. 
because if you're showing up to work early, if you're showing up to an appointment early, especially if you're going to the doctor, they're not on time anyway. <laughs> you're going to uh, wherever you're headed, grocery store especially, take some time for you, even if it's in your car. A couple of minutes, five minutes, maybe you get lucky and you got 10 minutes to yourself. Take that time for you. Clear your head, align your chakras, pray, whatever you think it does, meditate, whatever you think it does to, to chill, to relax, to calm down, to center yourself, to take some space, whatever that thing is, because you are worth investing in. Yeah, that's so true. That's something that I think a lot of the leaders forget about, that they, you know, they need to understand that they're worth it as well, that they are worth investing in. Just hearing you say that, that leads me to this uh, other piece of praise that one of your friends uh, told me. And uh, he said, Travis is a gem. I've seen this inspirational being show up over and over and over and over again, not for praise, but rather for a pure intention of being present. Whether he is fulfilling his divine assignment as a husband and father or transforming from stranger to friend within minutes, Travis is a constant and joyful force of love that is beyond needed and desired in humanity. And I can definitely tell that that's, um, that's true just in the few minutes that, you know, or not a few minutes now, but in the time that we've been talking, I mean, you, you're constantly just showing up and, and bringing this love of other people. And it's incredible. I mean, you, you know, when, when you think about people in individuals who have gone in the military, there's this perception of the military being very rigid, right? And they have this, this perception, true or not, but this rigidity is something that, as you and I have talked about, is prohibitive from innovation and ingenuity. So what I'm curious about is how have you developed this more flexible mindset of leadership to overcome the obstacles that you had to overcome or help others overcome the obstacles that they have? You know, I'm going to have to get a list of all the people that you asked. <laughs> these are fantastic. I don't know who, who I bribed to, to tell you these wonderful things about me, but it definitely makes me feel good. Thank you. But different perspectives on leadership, uh, I give in part to all the different places I've been to. You would, you would be somewhere and doing something and the person leading you, I was like, well, you know, why are you doing it that way? And you're like, you know, it's my way or the highway. This is the way we're doing it. That's just how it's going to be. And you're like, oh, you know, whatever. Okay. Then you move somewhere else and you're doing the exact same task, but you're doing it in a different way. And you're like, hey, that's interesting. Why are we doing it this way? And you hear the same thing. You hear, it's my way or the highway. And this is how we're doing that. And you hear that over time and space and places. And it's very interesting. It allows you to see all the different things that happen or all the same things that happen in different ways and gives you this different perspective on what life is and what life's about. And when you take something like that and you apply it to leadership, you come up with really a situational type leadership. And when you're trying to just get the people that you're working with to do things other than pouring into their lives and caring about them, which I think is paramount in everything that we do, but there's people that need, you just tell them a task and they go and do it. Yeah. They're, they're on it. No problems. You got other people that, that need a hand or they need uh, some understanding. Uh, you need, there's some people that you got to hold their hand and walk them through every little detail. There's some that you got to 
uh, hoot and holler and scream at and get them motivated and, you know, put a little fear, fear of them to get them to move, you know, and, and some people, they got to see you working and see the effort that you're putting in before they allow you to lead them. And you end up really understanding what, what it is, you know, what people, what motivates people. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm not trying to figure out, oh, what can I dangle in front of them to make sure they get this done? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about under really understanding the different layers and levels of people and where they're at and what they do and why they do things and how they do it and how they perceive the things that need to be done. I know in the, the younger generations, I'm an elder statesman millennial uh, born in 81, or if you believe that in-between generation called the Zennials, which is like 77 to 83, because we're not quite Xers and we're not quite millennials, but you got yeah. some of the younger millennials and, and the generation C out there. You can't really yell at them to get them to do stuff. That just shuts them down. You, you can't you can't talk to them that way, uh, and you shouldn't anyway. And they have a lot more questions about meaning, and they have a lot more questions about why. Why are we doing this? Not not why do I got to do it? It's not a snotty why. It's like, oh, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that way? Like they want to understand how the things are interconnected to the overall process and what you're doing them and the benefits of doing that in that manner or that timeline or that step or that order uh, because it matters. Yeah. yeah. My friend Stephen Kuhn has this concept called creating space. And I, I've really taken this on in my life and you're providing value without expectation um, and what that looks like in a leadership role, you might provide a task and you let them solve it. Mm -hmm. There might be some things that are rigid, like aircraft maintenance, working with explosives or dealing with uh, nuclear codes, something of that nature that's very rigid and regimented. But by and large, you've got a lot of latitude to solve things in different fashions. Yeah. Uh, when I do projects around the house or my wife does them, we have a kind of a rule, like you can tell me what to do or how to do it. If you tell me both, you might as well do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, so if you have the task for them and you let them solve it, how they do it, you might find that they solve it differently than you. You might find that it's more efficient or gets a better result than you would have had if you would have just shown them how you do it. And it allows for this innovation and buy into the process and allows them to take the ownership of whatever the thing is, the task, the problem, the whatever the thing you're doing is, allows them to, to, to be themselves more. And if you allow them to be them, everything's going to work out better in the end. Yeah, you can definitely let people, you allow people to grow, right? And you still get the job done. And you discover a lot more about either the process or the end results than if you were to just do it yourself or have them do it your way. Um, I was told to ask about the adversity you had to overcome going from being enlisted to an officer. So can you share that story? Uh, well, there's, there's some different challenges. Um, do you know about the bucket of crabs theory? Uh, no. So if one, if you have a bucket full of crabs and one crab tries to climb out, the other crabs are going to try to pull them down just because. I don't know if they're scared of the unknown outside the bucket or what it is, but they're mm -hmm. pulling it back down. And when I was, a, you know, I was applying for this thing, I was asking around like, hey, do you ever think about doing something like this? Would you do this? Would you do it? Why? And, you know, 
turns out that most people in the military have thought about it at one point and they, by the time they got back to it, they were too old or whatever. And I applied for this thing. I'm just going to do it. And, um, got accepted and it was amazing. And I'd never had anything like this before, but the reaction I got when I was telling people, or even when I didn't tell people like the people around me, you get it you get pushback. There's a couple people that are really excited for you. Some people really hate you for it. Um, but it's, it's not you, right? It's them, whether being jealous or wish they would have done it or they feel like they should be or they feel that I shouldn't be there or whatever the thing is. And, you know, it changes your relationship uh, with a lot of people, you know, then going through the process uh, at Oklahoma, I'm not, I, I look at things a lot differently. And the military likes that, but they don't like it because I don't just do everything the same way everyone else does it and like, just go do it. Like it's different. Right. But there's, a, there's always new challenges. And then when I finally got commissioned, um, I went from being this E6 that was a community leader that was an instructor that knew was the go-to guy for so many things to being at the bottom of a new ladder um, where none of my leadership experience mattered they just saw that I was the lowest ranking guy and they didn't care. You know, all the things I had done up until that point over the last 12 years didn't matter. All the, you know, all the things, my, my knowledge and everything like that, they just saw the rank on there. Yeah. And I'm always who I am. I am always Travis, no matter where we are, no matter what the situation is. And I was acting much differently than the other students. And they had a problem with that. And they tried to get rid of me as a, as a young leader because I wasn't doing things the way that they thought they were supposed to be done, the way they thought, they thought I was being some kind of like, um, I thought I was being arrogant, disrespectful, and some different things. Like I was talking to senior leaders that I had known for years mm-hmm. when I was enlisted and like having, uh, I, you could say less than professional conversations, but you know, call them sir or whatever you know, before and, and after the conversation and like, they did not like that. It was almost like there was a conspiracy of the instructors like against me at one point. Yeah. Like, how is this guy doing the thing? There's always going to be challenges. Always. Whether you have a backstory like mine or not, you're going to have challenges that affect you. You have the choice to decide how are you going to react to that situation? If we look at the economy right now, some people will say the economy is great and some people will say the economy is not. We've got people losing jobs due to COVID and we've got people making millions upon millions of dollars. And you're in the nonprofit world, there's nonprofits shutting their doors and there's nonprofits having banner years, uh, more money than they, they've ever brought in before and they don't know what to do with it all. Most of that is dependent on you, your attitude and your actions. I watched GI Joe growing up. They say knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the other half is violence. I mean, action, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you know all the answers, if you don't execute on the test, it doesn't matter if you know you're supposed to stop (laughs) at a red light and you keep driving. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you do. Yeah. And even if you don't know what to do, you can still show up and have a good attitude and do the things you need to do. Yeah, that attitude is so important um, because it can completely change how not only you show up and you approach work and challenges, but how you influence others that are looking up to you. So another question that I had was, 
this mindset that you you currently have and then coming up through the ranks in military in the military so what is you know what's a leadership philosophy that you learned i guess early in your your tenure in the military that may have you know that that you've learned recently uh, well, there, there's there's different things you learn over time, and the military has certainly changed, you know, from pre-9-11 to now and getting some, you know, the boomers into retirement, getting Generation Xers or, or older or moving out and transitioning to the the kinder, gentler Navy. Um, you know, being brand new, you hear things like, shut the hell up and do it. Just go do it. Why are you asking questions? Go. Like, I'm gonna, if you disagree, I'm going to take you outside and we're going to have words. And that meant you weren't going to have any words, right? Uh, I never found myself in that particular uh, kind of situation, but I know people that did. And there's a lot of people that are, that are leaders in, in any industry that are steadfast and not always steadfast in a good way. Some of them are stuck in their old ways and their leadership style is the leadership style no matter what the situation is. So people are just... You know, they're a hammer and everything looks like a nail and you got you got to beat on it to make it work. Um, I mentioned before that I'm, I'm a, a situational leader, depending on what the situation needs is, is uh, different tools that I'm going to use. One of the things that I really learned, especially in the, in the last year that we've really driven home with me is that you have to allow your people to do the thing. You have to let them go and do it. Um, you know, I'm a Navy lieutenant in 03, heading out to Bahrain to work on NavSent Fifth Fleet staff at the headquarters. And I spent most of my career doing nuclear command and control, working for STRATCOM, working for the Air Force, essentially. And now I'm going, and that's a that jet is 150 feet long and wide, mm-hmm. uh, to going out to working with ships. Well, the last time I was on a ship was 2002 when I was an airman still, when I was an, an E3 launching airplanes off the nose of an aircraft carrier, um, barely knowing what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and then I took essentially you know, like 17 years off to go out and work with the surf, you know, and finally end up back with the service Navy where you have aircraft carriers, destroyers. And I didn't know anything about like Navy stuff. Like I had been in the Navy for all these years, but I didn't know I'd been in the Navy 19 years at that point. I didn't know what the responsibilities of a DDG were or a patrol craft or what the differences were in the size and a cruiser. I knew what an aircraft carrier was because I was on one, but I didn't know what an amphib was that carries all the Marines around and the capabilities they have. Like I didn't understand all that stuff. I went to a maritime operational planner course, a 12 week course up at the Navy War College in Newport, Rhode Island. And they had a little, like, what do you mean you don't know Navy stuff? I was like, I don't know Navy stuff. Like, how long have you been? <laughs> like, I've been for 19 years. Like, I don't know any of stuff. And they had these great, like, lunch hour classes. That if you brought, like, a bag of lunch, you could sit there and they teach you about, like, mind sweeping and teach you what the Marines do and how this stuff works together and integrates and what a task force under a major headquarters would look like and how to you know, write the plan and doing the, the planning cycle. And... I uh, went through this fantastic course and I got out there and I was considered like a Navy planner and they put me on the watch floor with has nothing to do with planning the current operations of the fleet, which is really cool. We got to do some amazing things with two carrier operations out in uh, the Middle East out there. But 
me coming in as, as a lieutenant, which is not a very high rank when you look at the officer ranks, like there's seven more ranks above me. And I go in there and they're like, hey, we're working on this plan. And I heard that you went to this planning school. I was like, yeah. So we're going to stick you with this commander who's an 05 and you guys are going to write this plan together. So I had the knowledge of how to do planning and some, some fleet knowledge, just a little sprinkling of it. And he had the rank and a lot of knowledge, but he didn't have any planning experience. So we get to work together to, to build this, this plan that we actually were, were able to employ. And it's the most complicated plan that they had on file, but he allowed me to take the lead in areas that I had the experience and the knowledge in the background, even though he outranked me uh, by a couple of ranks and he didn't have to listen to me. He didn't have to take my input. There was areas where I was strong. He let me to lead. There was areas that he was strong. He's very much more analytical, very systems oriented. And, and he took the lead in some of these areas and how this applies to anyone's organization that's listening the guy that comes in on day one might be an expert in the thing that you're struggling with, but you might ignore him because he's the new guy or she's the new girl on the street and you have no idea what their background is. I was, you know, running the household finances at nine because my mother was not capable of it. And I'm not saying this to slam her, right? I'm, I'm saying this just as a matter of fact, as, as how it was, you know, the experiences that I've had personally in my life growing up in all those different situations is vastly different than most other people. There's only a couple of people I've met that have moved even close to as many times as I have. And I've met thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people because I love sharing my story and talking and meeting as many people as possible because you always learn something new. But allowing that person to have a voice in the room, even if they don't have the experience, even if they've only been there for a short time, even if they're uh, pick a category, you know, even if they're um, 16 or even if they're whatever the category is, doesn't matter. Let them talk. Let them be part of the conversation. Let them get in there and, and say their thing in the organization. Doesn't matter if it's, it's day one or, you know, day 10,000. You, you don't know what experience they have. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what, what uh, life has, has thrown their way. And, you know, if you look at someone with my background, you're going to see all sorts of crazy things. You can see 50 moves. I've been to all 50 states. I've been overseas. I've been skydiving, uh, hiking in Alaska, parasailing in Hawaii, bungee jumping in Chicago. Uh, what else have I done? Snorkeling in, in Key West. You have no idea of any of those things. Not that I'm you know bragging on myself, but you, you don't know what someone brings to the table unless you allow them to be part of the process. And you might find after the conversation, you might have to have some words with them on the side and be like, hey, man, maybe don't act like a complete jerk uh, during, the, during the meeting. Um, I know one of the, the quotes that you brought in that I, that I used to run my mouth all the time, and, and I did. You know, I got to a point in my life where I didn't care what people thought of me, and I just let it all out. And there was a time I thought I was being funny uh, right up until the time I discovered that it wasn't very funny. I'll put, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like a whole nother story. We, 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 uh, need to have, uh, at another time. Uh, we can have as many conversations <laughs> as you like. I'm having a, having a blast. Um, well, uh, I mean, we've been going for, for quite some time. I really appreciate you coming on to this podcast. Um, yeah, I have 
so many questions that we didn't even get to. There's so many stories that you brought up, so many things that you brought up that I, I want to address but, um, or ask about. Uh, but we'll have to save it for another time. I do want to leave you with one more, for, uh, one more little piece of praise for, from someone very close to you. Travis is very dedicated and passionate about his work. He loves to teach and learn during the same conversation with each person he interacts with. He listens carefully to everyone and helps them get connected with someone that cre can create momentum for their cause. Helping the helpers is what he loves to do. And I got to say, just based on this conversation, Travis, that's 100% true. Um, and, and I'll share with you who, who said that one. That, that's your wife. That was your, <laughs> your wife. <laughs> A little bit of praise. Oh, so. thanks, sweetie. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> Well, um, you know, before we head out, Travis, where can people connect with you? Uh, I would absolutely love to share. I want to share one small thing about communication. We didn't talk about communication very much. I just yeah. finished reading Call Sign Chaos by Jim Mattis, uh, which was an amazing book. And he talks about communication. Very simple. If you haven't heard this before, <laughs> write this down, take this note. Three steps to communication. What do I know? Who needs to know? did I tell them? That's it. Three steps. What do I know? Who needs to know? Did I tell them? Uh, people in the communication world start following that a little bit, that three easy step program. Uh, you're going to find a lot, a lot better communication results in your life. Uh, but people can find me uh, at nonprofitarchitect.org. They can send me an email at nonprofitarchitect at gmail.com. They can find me at Facebook.com slash nonprofit architect. If you put nonprofit architect out there, it's going to come up with me. If you're searching for the show for the podcast, you can find that nonprofitarchitect.org or you can just search nonprofit architect podcast and it will come up on every stinking thing that you use to listen to podcasts already. You can say, Alexa, play the nonprofit architect podcast and my podcast will start going. It's crazy all the different communication platforms, apps and everything that we have today, you know, that government wiretap Alexa or Siri or whomever's listening to your conversations, uh, they'll help you find me. Yeah. There's a lot of great conversations that Travis has had and um, with various leaders. And there's a lot to glean, not just from a nonprofit side. So uh, it's definitely, I, I enjoyed listening to them as I was trying to learn more about Travis before we hopped on this call. So well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the Leading People First podcast. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you so much, Chris. You're going to experience leadership in many facets. You're going to learn what to do and emulate, and you're going to learn what not to do. But please learn from something from everyone you meet. Thank you again so much for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. First of all, I want to thank Travis again for his service both in the military and his community. And a quick shout out to his friends and family who shared a little bit more about Travis. Travis's story on his childhood and upbringing show that as leaders, we absolutely cannot let first impressions influence us. There were so many little things that Travis has gone through that I know leaders can apply to the employee experience, like caring for ourselves before taking care of our teams and allowing the strengths and experiences of our teams to shine through. If you want to learn more about Travis, the amazing work he does in his community, and even his podcast, The Nonprofit Architect, be sure to check the show notes. A quick reminder, if you want to be entered into this month's drawing, 
Make sure you leave us a review and send a screenshot to chrislin at leadingpeoplefirst.com or share your review on Instagram and tag leadingpeoplefirst. Again, I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.